Program activated. I'm Dr. Simon Clark, a physicist and science communicator. And I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, a mechanical engineer and broadcaster. When was the last time you were in complete silence? Almost everything we do makes noise. And as countries continue to industrialise, urbanise and grow, things are only going to get louder and louder. Noise pollution is now the second most harmful environmental health issue we face, contributing to thousands of serious illnesses and even premature deaths. So is our planet becoming too loud to hear ourselves think? Welcome to Mission Responsible. even with the agency, Ginny. Which agency? The spy agency. Oh, that agency. Yeah, you know, the one that we, we absolutely work for. I'm actually a very new recruit. Oh my god, me too. Really? Yeah, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I've not even got health insurance with them yet. Like, <laughs> no that pension? Me. No, no pension. Oh, good grief. No, I've got to get a couple of missions under my belt before I get a pension. You know, it turns out that, you, you know, you, you can't just use your, your spy gadgets to get on the tube. You can't just, you know, use the buzzer thing to stop the tube and then get on. I was all about the gadgets. I know. I, would, I felt like I was missold this role. Like, you know, come come be a spy. It'd be really exciting and sexy and you get to do all this amazing stuff with gadgets and, and travel the world. I've barely been out of zone two. <laughs> well, I was in it just for the clicky pens. Do you think Q in the James Bond films was a physicist like me or an engineer like you? A physicist, obviously. I thought you would have said engineer. Well, if Q were an engineer, his gadgets would explode far less often. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's fair. Coming up in this week's episode. I suggested that we try and make London the first capital to be audio inclusive. Uh, If you start feeling nauseous or uncomfortable or anything, let us know, um, because that does happen sometimes. You're really proud of your idea, aren't you? (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm going to own this one. How noisy is your life? I don't know. It's not something you you think about very much, is it? It's um, not a question you come across. No. I mean, I guess I, I work from home. I'm wearing headphones a lot of the time. So my life is as noisy as I want it to be. So you're pretty much noise cancelled. Yeah, I create my own noise environment. It's it's that and then whatever my cat wants my attention. Right. Which, you know, is the one thing when I'm working at home on my own that I can't control. <laughs> Okay. What, what about you, Shinny? Have you ever experienced you know, noise pollution? I mean, on that note, I do actually walk around with several options of earplugs because I do find noise really jarring. I actually struggle to sleep without earplugs. Yeah, I mean, I, to the point where when I'm on the tube or something, it's I don't mind the, the, the noise of being on the underground. But I am so distracted by other people talking and their mm. conversations and I tune in and I... I don't know. This may be an odd question, but do you have a favourite colour of earplug? Because I definitely do. Neon. It's orange, specifically, for me. Why? They just feel like they block out the most noise. Orange looks like a colour that means business. (laughs) So it sounds like, no pun intended, this is an important topic. Let's take a listen to this episode's mission. Sure. I'll just fire up our high-tech computer and... Scanning. Login accepted. Access granted. 
Welcome, agents. This week, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to explore how responsible engineering can help us combat noise pollution. Like smart speakers that self-destruct the moment they're asked to play Baby Shark. Baby Shark? Do, 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 baby Shark, do, do. And you have, you... Do you know that? It, it's it's like, the might be the most viewed YouTube video of all time. Okay, so it's a YouTube thing again. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> Agent Clark. Your objective is to infiltrate the Soundscape Modeling Lab at University College London and determine what secrets lie within. Oh, fantastic. I'll pack my orange earplugs. I think you're going to have to dig deeper than that, Simon. Uh, the orange earplugs can fix most issues. You've got to believe in the orange. Agent Samara, your mission is to track down the founder of tech startup Mumbly and work out his plans for saving the planet from excessive noise. I love a good interrogation. Don't you mean an interview? Briefing complete. Good luck, agents. This message will self-destruct in five, four, three. Is there any chance you can explode two, quietly? One. Guess not. So while Simon is off choosing his favourite clipboard and lab gown, I've been doing some digging into Marion Marincat, the founder of Mumbly, a London-based tech company that claims to be setting the standard for audio accessibility. Marion is an entrepreneur with an MSc in behavioural and brain science who can speak up to five languages. I'm sensing hints of an evil genius backstory. According to his personnel file, Marion suffers from a profound hearing reduction. Again, all consistent with a supervillain. Or perhaps a superhero. Time for me to find out more. I've decided to sneak a meeting into his diary and confront him about his plans. Hologram programs activated. Marion, it's fantastic to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, it's great to have this conversation on a Monday morning. Can you start by telling me about your actual condition? You know, how rare is it for someone of such a young age? It's very rare. It's called uh, autosclerosis. And I was actually given some uh, very strong antibiotics called gentamicin with um, autotoxins when I was a few months old. And that affected the middle ear and the middle ear bones started to grow in my mid-20s, which then impacts how sound travels through the middle ear and the inner ear. Do you want to take me through how Mumbly came about? Yes, like probably like any venture started with a story and uh, it's my personal story with my hearing health. So in my mid-20s, I experienced a a sudden and permanent hearing loss uh, in both of my ears. Within the range of six months, I, I've lost about 80% of my hearing abilities and um, acquired permanent tinnitus as well, just to make it uh, nice and complete. So within the first two years, I realized that I now need to wear hearing devices or hearing aids um, at all times in, in order to be able to communicate. So that was half of the problem solved, I noticed, because... Most of my interactions in public spaces and uh, noisy environments was still poor, so I couldn't understand speech because of background noise. And because somehow my hearing loss dragged me into the healthcare space at that time, uh, in 2014, I started the first venture in the space, so a hearing care company with clinics throughout London. Uh, Within the first few years, we built about five of them. And I was personally exposed to the experience of hundreds of people with hearing reduction. 
And the common thread that everyone seemed to complain about was background noise. And it was almost like I started to realize we have these incredible devices, but we don't have the ability to hear in, in noise environments, no matter how much hearing aid manufacturers would focus on that. I then sort of stopped working on that and uh, sold my stake in uh, in the company to my business partners and started Mumbly in 2018 to to essentially solve the problem of recreational noise and, and make hearing wellness a bit more mainstream than historically it has been so far. After air pollution, noise pollution is now the second most harmful environmental health issue. It's believed that in Europe alone, around 22 million adults are living in or near sources of major noise. So tell me more about that, because noise pollution is not something I ever think about, but yet I am massively affected. Only last night I was in a restaurant where people were talking really loud and actually knowing that I was speaking to you, I was so aware of the fact that there are very hard surfaces where noise just couldn't, I mean, it was just bouncing off the walls and floor. And how does Mumbly sort of tackle this whole landscape? So you said a key word there, which is awareness. There is a lack of awareness. And when it comes to sound, because it's invisible and very dynamic and versatile, it's harder to say that something is just loud or just quiet. When I started Mumbly, actually, it started with almost like a research question. Uh, So how do we make hearing wellness mainstream? And we then went out and started talking to people that are working with sound or music, experts in acoustics, experts in architecture, the audio experience design, the head of audio experience design from Imperial College. We did a lot of tests. And here we were, you know, a small startup trying to solve an insanely big social problem with budgets only to last us to kind of get a solution out there and start selling but we then received a grant from Innovate UK. So we did a pilot in the Olympic Park. We made it the first hearing wellness district. And we started showing venue operators how loud their venue gets over a week. And we showed a graph. We didn't show numbers because no one would understand what 87 decibels means over an hour. So we showed this graph and we started marking it with what happens at each level. So from 55 decibels, which is the level that we're talking at now, from 55 onwards, our body starts to be impacted by, by background noise if, if it exceeds that level. The World Health Organization has documented at least seven categories of adverse health effects of noise pollution hearing impairment, speech interference, sleep, cardiovascular and mental health disturbances, impaired task performance and negative social behaviour. So before we have a hearing problem, which starts at 85-90, it goes through all sorts of areas. So we lose our concentration, productivity is impacted, uh, people get very moody and some people are very noise uh, sensitive where their emotional sort of layers start to be impacted. They become nervous, agitated, anxiety kicks in. So we started showing them this graph from one week of data collection and their face dropped. And we said, okay, well, here's what you can do to diminish this immediately. You don't need to invest money, you just need to do these things. So we measured it for another week and we were really surprised to see the behavior change. 
so the noise levels were by 30% lower. Um, they weren't putting the music volume up. Uh, they were trying to keep it quiet. They changed the behavior around how they handled, you know, cutleries and plates and that sort of. So it's quite interesting to see how people, the moment someone is aware, it's almost like their, their sensitivity to sound threshold lowers slightly. Studies show noise pollution can also have a significant impact on economic productivity, with a 2020 report by the European Environment Agency estimating that noise pollution was responsible for 86 million euros in related support costs. So we've touched on the wellness side of it. Tell me about the hardware we never wanted to develop hardware um, because it's difficult. It's difficult to start any company. It's a corner shop. But if you develop a technology company with a hardware piece, it's it's 10 times harder. However, it was the only way to make a space audio accessible by having continuous sound monitoring. And we realized this after measuring about 100 venues with a mobile phone. And we... We did a cross analysis and we noticed that if you analyze the space with different types of phones that have different microphones, you get unreliable data. Not only that, but you measure a venue at a particular time, say on a Wednesday morning between 10 and 12, you go and measure the venue and you say, okay, this venue is great. But if you measure that same venue on Friday evening when it's packed and busy and people are under the influence and they're excited, the sound levels change. So... When we got the first grant, we wanted to develop the first generation hardware, which was a permanent sound monitoring device installed in the ceiling, just like the fire alarm. And we wanted to see what happens if we monitor the sound continuously. And it was the only way to do it. It was where the first generation was difficult because we had wires going through the ceiling and it was complicated. It was taking half a day and 1,500 pounds per venue to install. So we then did a second generation with wireless technology. So essentially wireless battery-based beacons working with Bluetooth with a hub that is plugged in. And they're installed in the ceiling strategically depending on the size of the venue. And... Yeah, that's, that's where we are. So it's a hardware-enabled software product. And the software element is actually a score that we give venues for audio accessibility, which then brings all elements of wellness within the score. So there are various metrics that we look at from uh, the data that we get. And we get data from the devices as well as from onboarding the venue at the beginning. So what's the capacity of the space? What type of space we have there? There's different types of venues. We have different sound profiles, etc. And how much data are you generating? Where does it come from? And what are you doing with that data? It's numerical data. So we're not collecting any voice recording at any point. And so the data is something like 10 megabytes per venue per year. And it's data coming from the sound devices that has data on frequency bands. So about 256 frequency bands and decibel levels. And we store that data. We then analyze it through a business intelligence tool. And right now we're playing with some AI features where we generate the score instantly using these two data points from devices and also, like I mentioned, data from 
the venue itself. We create a three-dimensional plan of the space at the installation, and then we have almost like a sound map. We can create a sound map of the space. And the idea was to have live, quiet spaces within a venue. So, you know, imagine you go to a restaurant and you want a quiet table at the moment. You may see the waiter turning around and guessing which table might be quiet, although it's a rectangular space and everywhere is the same level. So we want to push it towards this live, quiet area in in social venues without a quiet area, meaning another room where nothing happens. With increasing global population growth, industrialization, urbanization, and ever more transport infrastructure, noise pollution is only set to increase in the future. Because I'm also part of the World Organization uh, Make Listening Safe group, a few weeks ago in Geneva, the conversation was with 60 experts from around the world to come up with a way to implement the guidelines that the World Organization has released last year for noise in venues and events. And because we worked with the Mayor of London's Agency for Business and Tourism in London over the last year, I suggested that we try and make London the first capital to be audio inclusive. And what we've done on the ground, we went to venues independently and tried to see how interested they are in solving the problem. Everyone recognizes the issue, so businesses understand that there's a problem, but because the regulation in the UK is not implemented yet, it's almost like a nice to have for them. But it's a bit like GDPR was a few years ago, so noise monitoring regulation will come and then businesses will have no choice but to start taking some steps. Whether that's going to be in the next five years, 10 or 15 years, We'll probably have to see. It's probably going to be a slow burn. But I think cities like London, Paris, and New York are trying through different initiatives and projects to bring noise levels down. So I think we want to see some very interesting um, uptake from businesses in that regard. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing because whether we realise it or not at this point in time, what you're doing is so fundamentally important and it's all because of your your personal journey. So keep going because what you're doing is truly remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Data transfer complete. Hologram program deactivated. I feel like I have a much better understanding of the true impact that excessive noise can have on our lives, but I really leave meeting Marion full of hope and inspiration that through adversity, you can actually find amazing technological solutions. Right, I better get on with filing my report now. With the key press noise off this time, let's see how Simon is getting on with locating his soundscape lab. When I think of soundscapes, I think of sci-fi movies, ASMR, and a bus full of teenagers playing six different Taylor Swift songs on their phones. So I'm intrigued to understand exactly what kind of research goes on in a soundscape lab. I've been given a tip-off that the man I need to speak to about all of this goes by the codename of Andrew Mitchell, although that could just be his real name. Either way, I've arranged to meet him at a secret location in East London. Hi Andrew, great to meet you. 
Uh, thanks very much. Why don't you come on in? Andrew slipped me into the building unnoticed through a concealed entrance marked Main Entrance. As we made our way through the corridor at UCL, I began to worry where I was being led. Why don't you come on into our buried audio lab? It didn't take me long to work out that we were now in a highly advanced facility. So, Simon, welcome to the UCL Audio Lab, and I'll introduce you to Dr. Tin Oberman as well. Oh, hi. Hello. Hi. Tin is in charge of uh, running our experiments here in the lab. So, yeah, we've got our Audio Lab, uh, which is the Ambisonics Playback Lab, uh, and we'll go on in first to the control room. Uh, so this is quite a small room. It's only like yeah. two meters by four meters, and there's a uh, quite a lot of kit in here. Yeah, including a now slightly out of date but big old gaming computer uh, to run the VR, uh, as well as an impedance tube and lots of microphones. Uh, and if we head into the main uh, playback room, so this is much bigger. Yep. So. Uh, do you remember the... Either the walls were soundproofed, or I'd been hit by some sort of advanced acoustic neutralization ray. My cover story intact, I proceeded to question my target. Is that for harmonics reasons? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm stood in the middle of the room at the moment, and I'm in a metal frame where there are speakers all around me, uh, below, above, and to the sides. How many are there in total? Uh, Twelve. Uh, and then the final bit before we move on to the actual experiment is uh, our binaural head that we have here. Our original head was named Oscar. What have we named this one? Uh, well, this one we are saying it's female and it's called Lois. Lois. Because it's a low, low noise head. <laughs> it's not... Uh... Yeah. So, so Lois is a head and shoulders with basically no features apart from a gap for the mouth, which I assume is a speaker. It yep. can speak back. And then there are two ears, which I, I can't stress enough how disconcerting the texture is. It feels simultaneously really lifelike and really synthetic. But they're a very accurate model of, of someone's ears and what appears to be, if I look inside the ear, an ear canal with a microphone inside, yeah. on, on each side. Yeah. Modeled ear canal, so the modeled outer ear in silicon, I assume silicon, yeah. uh, and then to an ear canal to a high-end microphone on the inside, on each ear. And the idea it, with binaural recording is that it gives a very lifelike and accurate representation of what you would actually hear sitting there because it replicates the sort of scattering effects and time delay effects as sound hits one ear before it goes around your head and hits the other ear uh, as opposed to strict stereo where you just have two microphones and there's nothing in between them where your head would be so then in the middle here we've got our uh throne for you should i take a seat yep. yeah so this is specifically positioned to be in the middle of our sphere of speakers to put your head in the sweet spot because the purpose of ambisonics is to recreate the 360 degree sound field that we recorded on site. It's not the most comfortable experiment I've ever been involved in. I think it's a basis chair. Is that what, what we got it for? I sing bass, so this is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do feel somewhat like I'm in the centre of some nefarious experiment. This, this does feel like I'm yeah at the centre of a telescope or something. So, part of the idea with our whole setup here is it's designed so that we can put people in a virtual 
version of real urban environments. Mm-hmm. So we've gone out and we've taken recordings of actual places and we can have you come in here and replicate your experience in them. And of course, for our research, we're most interested in the sound. So that's why we've got the whole massive frame set up with the speakers, uh, because by doing this in ambisonics, we are allowing you to hear it exactly as you would hear. So we have hopefully a much more realistic auditory environment than you would have with some of the more standard systems. Okay. Uh, and then the VR visual is so that we can investigate the relationship between what you hear in environment and what you see. Okay. And so that's what today's experiment is all about. Is it normal to feel a little nervous? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you start feeling nauseous or uncomfortable or anything, let us know. Sure. Because um, that does happen sometimes. From what I could tell, they weren't bluffing. So I'm turning my head around and it is amazingly immersive. It really is exactly as if I was in what sounds like a, a park. There's someone strumming a guitar. There's traffic, there's people. It's like a park on a busy street or something like that. So press the menu now. And I hope it's intuitively clear that you can... Yeah. Okay. So first one, press pause. Can you read the questionnaire question? Yeah, based on the scene you're experiencing for each of the eight scales, to what extent do you agree the present surrounding sound environment is pleasant, chaotic, vibrant, uneventful, calm, annoying, eventful, or monotonous? Um, so, great. I think you are yeah already doing it. Yep, I was just... Uh, so there's no right or wrong answers. See, as soon as you say that, I think there is a wrong answer. <laughs> Is it normal to want to try and win at this experiment? <laughs> I feel like one of them would give the most accurate response possible. Oh, that's great. Which that's is a healthy and normal thing nice. to want to yeah. do. Yes. Okay, so am I good to press play on this? Yes. Right, so pressing play. Whoa. This is so much worse. So this basically sounds like the downtown of every city I've ever made in SimCity. Okay, so I'm going to leave the virtual world and take the headset off. Oh, wow, that's disorienting. I thought I was facing in a completely different direction. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Wow, I feel like I need a few seconds to recalibrate my head. What's really weird is still hearing the same soundscape and not seeing it. It's like I'm in a liminal space (laughs) between realities or something. Okay, thank you. Right, this is weird. This is really, really weird. So did you, going from the audio only to the visual only to the audio visual, did you like sort of feel yourself changing your response as you, as you went from one to the other and combine them together? Definitely, yeah. I think, I think by combining everything together, it was more intensely positive or more intensely negative, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, what was also strange was when the first uh, audio which was of uh, I thought was sort of a park off a busy road and it was actually in a busy touristy spot in Granada I that actually made it less relaxing for me weirdly because I could see there were lots of people around and there was lots of movement which I from the audio only thought was you know like a nice quiet-ish park so it was interesting that actually specifically the ones that had people in affected my perception of it and made it less relaxing less calm Using everything I'd learned in spy school, I began questioning our subject. I decided to play good cop this time round. 
So in simple terms, what is a soundscape study? So a modern soundscape study consists of, at least in our work, going to an urban public space and taking surveys of people who are using that space and asking them how they feel or perceive, feel about or perceive the soundscape in that space. So there are various different methods and techniques that you can do for this. A classic one is called a sound walk, where you gather a group of people and you take them on a walk through different spaces. And the idea is that they are actively listening to the space and actively considering and thinking about how the sound is impacting them and how they're perceiving it. Our method uh, is slightly different. We stop people who are actually using those spaces rather than taking a group from one to the other. We stop people in those spaces and we have a standardized questionnaire. We do that for 100 people or so. We pair that with audio recordings, with 360 degree photos, and we're trying to work out what aspects of the sound environment itself impact your perception of the soundscape. And how long have people been doing soundscape studies? Like This feels like it must be quite a new field. It's definitely picked up popularity in the last sort of 10 to 20 years, but it was originally invented or coined in the 1960s, popularized by a man named R. Murray Schaefer, who is a composer. He wrote a book called The Tuning of Our World, and his whole thing was about trying to get people to listen more actively and to consider the different components that make up the sound environments that we hear and to think about them in context. And then in the last 20 years, it has evolved a little bit to become more quantitative, more engineering-based and more rooted in urban design and psychoacoustics and that sort of stuff, moving a little bit away from the sort of musical composition side into sociology, engineering, urban design. And can you give us a bit more detail of the projects that you're working on at the moment? What is the bleeding edge of, of this field? So... In our team here, we have sort of two main goals, I would say. One is to create a soundscape index. That's the name of our project, is Soundscape Indices. And the goal there is to replace the decibel. So the decibel is the sort of base unit that we use in noise pollution studies, right? When you see European noise maps, you'll see a map of a city with a heat map overlaid on top of it that shows the decibel level of traffic noise across the city. The issue is that the decibel doesn't really map directly onto the actual impacts of sound on people. It's much more complicated and nuanced than that. And that's where Soundscape comes in. The second, which is mostly my work, is trying to make this Soundscape approach possible in an engineering context. So what I'm doing for that is creating predictive models of soundscape where we can take a recording plus some other contextual things like the video recording and that sort of stuff and predict how people would perceive that soundscape on those pleasant, eventful, chaotic scales. So that involves some machine learning and a lot of data collection to try and make a model that can effectively predict subjective scales based on objective inputs. Mission complete. Please evacuate immediately. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm afraid that's all the time I have on this assignment. I am going to have to go back to HQ now. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, for coming along and having me and for trying out our experiment. Okay, we're back in the studio and it's time for our mission debrief. 
Do you have a better feel for the noise in your life, Simon? I absolutely do. I, I brought the orange earplugs to this visit, but I didn't use them. didn't need them and I didn't want them. What a win! I know. You're profoundly changed. It was absolutely fascinating being in that lab and going through the VR experiment where you hear the noise and then you see visuals and then you combine the two and you see just how much of a difference the visual aspect of noise makes to how you perceive it was honestly extraordinary. But how about you, Shinny? Has Marion's experience changed the way you think about noise pollution? It's actually made me think about how we as engineers face adversity because his story is one of loss, but he turned all of that around. And I just think it's it's so inspirational to meet someone that instead of feeling sorry for himself or feeling defeated, he actually created something that is just so useful. Channeled that energy, that experience in a really positive way. Absolutely. And you know, all of these stories make you realise that sound is not just wave energy. Yeah, sound is the way that humans interact with vibrations in the air, which is at once quite a simple thing, but also incredibly complicated. Intelligence accepted. Your final task is to brainstorm your idea for a noise cancelling gadget with Agent Cameron at D-Branch. Hello, agents. Ah, it's Greg Cameron, community manager at Design Spark. Where did you come from? I've been here all the time. I've just been sitting very quietly. You should be a spy. No, no, wait, no. no there's, there's no you know vacancies available in spying. So listen, I'm looking for the ultimate idea for a noise cancelling gadget a spy slash engineer can use when working in the office. Forget noise cancelling headphones. I'm after something highly original, responsibly designed and super cool. So what do you have for me? So my idea is a bit out there and I may need a physicist to help me. Okay. But the idea is you can't cancel noise that's happening, right? There is no sound in space because it's a vacuum. So is there a way of creating a vacuumed space in your ear? Because I think one of the reasons why ear plugs don't work very well is because of... Unless they're orange. Unless they're orange, in which case they are perfection. But if earplugs are to work effectively, they have to be moulded to the individual's ears. So that's one thing. So I'm thinking it has to be quite a sophisticated mechanism to blow up a bit of space in your ear cavity and then create a vacuum in that space. Right, so you're you're trapping a artificial vacuum over not even necessarily a very large volume, no. but just enough to act as like a circuit break for sound coming in so it can't propagate through that exactly. space. Okay, but from an atmospheric perspective, as soon as you create a vacuum, there's a huge the air pressure is absolutely vast. Oh. It will rush it. Actually, oh. it would probably have the exact opposite effect that you intended because all the air would rush in and there would be an almighty clap as oh. the as the air met. So you'd with actually itself. bust your eardrums. Yeah. Let me just turn on my sound cancelling. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I am deaf. <laughs> yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Can't hear anything anymore. So Simon, how how would it work? What would be your idea? In order to cancel out the sound, so I would go further out than the ears. My idea would be you're working in an office environment. You work in a sphere 
So you can, you can, it's like a, there's like a porthole that you can get in and out of it, and you construct it out of a piezoelectric material, so that the sound waves that in, that come in and hit your sphere that you're working in get absorbed and are turned into electrical currents that you can then use to charge to power all of your items that are inside the sphere. I kind of love that. And then what you could do is you could modify the types of materials, the the you know the resonant frequencies of each material to filter out certain frequencies of sounds. So you could have it so that it blocks out the human voices around a thousand kilohertz. So you could make it block out other people's voices, but you could Certain hear other frequencies. stuff. Yeah, you're really proud of your idea, aren't you? That's the, <laughs> I, I, yes, I am. I'm going to own this one. It's an audio igloo. Yes, it is, and I suppose it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. It would have to be igloo shaped rather than spherical, because otherwise you'd never sit still. You'd you'd constantly be like in a hamster ball. As soon as you lean to get something, you're just ah. So it had to have a flat. Bottom or you could to have it. a sphere within a sphere. Okay. <laughs> so you could roll around because it could be piezoelectric as well. So you could be generating electricity by rolling around. Yeah. It's like but, a standing desk. You're just, you know, you're, you're moving like a hamster ball. You are running in order to generate sort of the electricity needed for your gadgets. Yeah. So you could actually do a workout. What if it was a gym ball? You were inside a gym ball. So what I'm imagining is there's an office full of these devices and every now and again someone opens up a hat and this really sweaty person <laughs> I just have one question. <laughs> Both the ideas I, I really do like. But would you spend more time actually stepping out of the idea just to test that it's actually working or is it just a really quiet day? Oh, yeah. You might need to go on like a noise break. So is it like how some people currently... You know, leave the city so that they can enjoy the, the quiet peace. countryside. Then you come back and go, oh, wait, no, it actually is noisy. I, yeah. you know, the, the device like, is working. I need to hear something. <laughs> I'm going crazy with my own thoughts. Where do you go on holiday that's really loud so that you, you Holidays know... would take a whole new meaning. You yeah. Would, you would go on holiday to have chaos. Yeah. Hassle. You basically just go to an airport then. <laughs> yeah. You never you leave. You wouldn't even go on holiday. You just go to an airport to have a holiday. You, you, the, whole, uh, the whole holiday is you get to the airport, you get delayed, you go through security, you get delayed again, you get to the gate and then you find out your flight's cancelled and then you go home and you go, wow, that was fantastic. Yeah. You know? like, I slept oh, on a bench for two nights in a row. Back to reality. I like this idea. Inverting the working environment and you go on holiday to get the noise and the chaos but your day at work is more serene. You might be more productive. I love the idea of self-generation and charging. The hamster wheel, we could say that's a metaphor for the working life anyway. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to take this back to D-Branch and we're going to look into this. Warning, commence system shutdown. Brilliant, thank you, Greg. Can we have a microphone that switches off when Simon's about to speak? What? Well, I think that wraps up today's mission. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do one or more of three nice things for us. That's right. We'd love it if you could leave a review, subscribe to the show, or recommend us to a friend. And don't forget, you can start up your very own responsible engineering journey by signing up to DesignSpark's free design resources at designspark.com. Until next time, I've been Agent Simon Clark. And I've been Agent Shinny Samara. And this has been... Mission Responsible. Mission Responsible was a Why Did the Chicken production for Design Spark. Huge thanks to our guests Andrew Mitchell, Tim Oberman, Marianne Marincat, and Greg Cameron. The series producer was Simona Rata, the researcher was Chris Armstrong, and the executive producer was Dan Page. 